It's Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk, episode 32, with me, John Lund, for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. If you listen to this Yankees beat writer, we had on my KMBR show, Aaron Judge is 100% coming to the Giants. Charles Barkley on Clay and Draymond. Of course, Father Time is undefeated. Chuck is always wrong in the Warriors anyway. Shanny's Wednesday update, good news and bad news, and one for the road. Come on, Westbrook. It's not even fun anymore. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. It is Unleashed with me, John Lund. Episode 32, happy Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, October 27th, 2022. Thanks for making Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund, your first stop for Barrier Sports every single day. We drop it about 6 a.m. on weekdays, so make sure you are here. Please subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, my day job, KNBR Radio in San Francisco, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, KNBR.com, KNBR 680. You can listen however you like and interact any old time. i got a couple of questions for you on the uh, podcast today. At John Lund Radio on Twitter, good, bad, indifferent. Uh, we don't want you to be indifferent, but uh, good or bad, whatever. Uh, you got suggestions, things you want to see, uh, things you want to hear, questions, comments of anything that we talk about at John Lund Radio on Twitter. And as I said, thank you for making us your first stop every morning for Bay Area Sports Talk. Well, if you are new to the podcast, welcome and thank you very much for uh, finding us. We had a ton to do today. We will start it with the leadoff spot, the big story of the day, and it's Randy Miller who covers the Yankees. And I think he was very credible. So uh, get your 99 jerseys in cream because Aaron Judge could be, should be, maybe, likely going to be in the Orange and black, we'll get into that whole discussion, and that will be our lead. We give you three or four stories after that on all the Bay Area teams, and then one for the road, one to leave you thinking, and it's on Russell, Russell I almost said Westbrook. Westbrook, Westbrook. It's not even fun anymore, Russ. Let's go. And he bought a house right across the street from this guy, so that should be fun. We'll get into all that. Let's start it right now. It is Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk with me, John Lund, and it is your leadoff spot. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Just expand on that, what you're writing here about that that session that we just talked about and it kind of maybe being a a goodbye for Aaron Judge. Yeah, well, uh, I I know someone that uh, knows giant owners and a lot of that information was coming from giant orders uh, that they're definitely going after him. They're going to get a second and maybe a third guy to entice him. When the when the Yankees were in Oakland this year, I came out of there early, spent some time in Aaron's hometown, Linden. Talked to a lot of people over there. Uh, I know Aaron very well. I've covered the uh, team since uh, Aaron's pre-rookie year, 2016. I think there's some uh, rifts in the organization. I think the Giants will overbid for him. I don't think the Yankees will. Aaron Judge was booed in two of the home games in the playoff games this year. That didn't sit well with Judge. Certainly didn't sit well with his family. Judge was not happy that uh, Joey Gallo, uh, Aaron Hicks were really crushed by fans this year, friends in the organization. That said, he's very loyal to his mother, his wife. They still live in Linden. He grew up a Giants fan. He was a huge Rich Aurelia fan. Uh, he lived through the Bonds days. Uh, I think he's ready to come home. I think he will come home. I think the Giants will 
give him the best offer. I think the Giants will sign uh, another guy, maybe Trey Turner, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants also bring Anthony Rizzo with them. Anthony Rizzo is probably going to opt out of his contract. He has one more year at $16 million. Rizzo and Judge are tight. I can see Rizzo possibly coming to the Giants with Judge on a short-term deal, maybe two years at $17 million a year instead of the one-year 16 that he has now. Uh, and that, if they get that, that will convince Judge that he can win. That's, to me, the, the biggest holdup here is can the Giants convince Judge that they're in it to win it every year? He's spoiled in New York. They haven't won. That hurts him. But they made the playoffs every year since his rookie year. And uh, they're further now away from the Astros than they've ever been. Uh, that said, uh, those booze hurt. Uh, that, that nudge to go home, he's very tight with his family. Uh, and I think that he has gone home. All right, go out and buy your Aaron Judge 99s in orange and black. Okay, there's a few questions that need to be answered. You're asking yourself, first of all, who the hell's Randy Miller? Well, he's covered the Yankees for the New Jersey News Group and NJ.com. He's been a beat writer covering Major League Baseball since 1996. Uh, many years covering the beat. Many years covering the Yankee beat. As he said there, he has covered Aaron Judge since his pre-rookie days uh, in New York. Traveled out to Linden. Talked to a lot of his family and people. The only thing that makes me nervous is right at the beginning, he said, I know a guy who knows the Giants owners. Sounds like I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. So I, I, it's not that I question his credibility because I talked to people, and that was during our show, by the way, on KNBR, which you can catch Greg Pop and I, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on KNBR 680 in the Bay Area, and uh, you can stream it at KNBR.com. So that's where that sound came from, from Randy Miller. I think Randy Miller is credible. Uh, that's first and foremost, although, like I said, it does make me nervous when somebody says, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Uh, I am skeptical of the Giants raising payroll. On yesterday's podcast, if you go back there, I talked about where their payroll was and where it is. So I'll just do a simplified version. And if you want to hear that entire uh, part of the podcast where we talk to Aaron Judge and exactly where they are money-wise, it's on yesterday's podcast. But they had a payroll of about $168 million last year. To put that in perspective, the top teams in Major League Baseball, and I'm not talking about the Mets at $295 million or the Dodgers at $277 million, which are the top two. But the three, four, and five teams, so I'm thinking about the final four in Major League Baseball, the Padres and the Phillies in the National League and the Astros and the Yankees in the American League, you're talking about the two, three, and four, excuse me, the three, four, and five top payrolls in all of baseball, and then the Astros are ninth. So to be in the final four, you you can be no worse than ninth. So when people say in baseball, well, you don't have to spend money, and all, yeah, you do. Uh, the average payroll of, in 2022 of the top four teams who made it in the American and National League was $237 million. The Giants was 168. Carlos Rodon is going to opt out. That puts you around 150. There's some other opt-outs in that situation. So the Giants committed to 2023 at about $130 million. So can they bring their payroll into about the $230 million range? Will they? Because remember, they, there's a competitive balance tax, and you pay all these taxes. And teams will generally do that in all of sports, the Warriors sure will, if they're in a championship window. But they really have no choice because their minor leagues are too far away and their old guys are too old. And I've said this on numerous podcasts, the thing that the Giants are missing is those guys in the 25 to 30 million, or excuse me, the age 25 to 30, 
in other words, the prime of your career type of guys. They don't have those guys. So what do they have to do? They have to buy those guys. Well, is Aaron Judge going to be overpriced? Yes. My skepticism comes from the fact that they haven't signed guys to big long-term contracts. We keep hearing that they will. So let's go on the assumption that they will. Now, what Randy Miller said there was not only is would Aaron Judge come, but the biggest hang-up is not how much he's going to get paid. The Giants will pay that dollar, according to the experts. Okay, I'll go with that premise for a minute, although I do question it to an extent. But can they win? If they won 107 games, and if they want to go to Aaron Judge with that, it's quickly going to be shut down, and he's going to sign with somebody else. Now, if they're realistic with him and say, look, we're a team that is somewhere between the 81 wins we had this year, the 500 record, and the 107. We're a 90-win team we can get in the playoffs. But that's with Aaron Judge. They happen to need a first baseman, and Randy Miller said he's really good friends with Anthony Rizzo. I'd be all right with that. Anthony Rizzo is a good defensive first baseman, great in the clubhouse, covered him a little bit when he was with the Cubs. He would be a great compliment to Aaron Judge. A lefty bat, he's not going to hit the 32 home runs he hit in New York last year with the Yankees with that short porch and right. But let's say he hits 20 to 25 and hits a bunch of doubles, plays good defense, and is a great guy in the clubhouse. And as Randy Miller said there as well, he would opt out of a $16 million contract, so you'd have to probably give him in the, I don't know, $18 million range, probably. So that would be all right with me. But still, I, I still think those two guys alone, think of the depth of the Padres, think of the depth of the Dodgers, think of the Phillies, think of the Braves, think of the Mets. They're going to add more. It's not about one guy, because if it's one guy, then it's Mike Trout. Then Aaron Judge is thinking to himself, I'm Mike Trout. I'm where I want to be, but I'm not winning anything. And they've got Trout and Otani, and they're not winning anything, because they have nothing else. And what you have to have is a lot of depth, four or five position players, where you go, wow, it's hard to get through that lineup. And what the Giants also lack with Carlos Rodon opting out is a clear 1B pitcher to Logan Webb, or maybe Logan Webb is the 1B. So can you get Verlander or DeGrom? Well, not if you sign Aaron Judge at $40 million. There is a number of intriguing pitchers that are the Farhan types that had great years last year that could be available. Tyler Anderson, a guy they already had, is one. There's four or five pitchers out there that had really, really good years. That you go, geez, are they going to be able to do that again? So if they go Judge, Rizzo, and let's just throw somebody out there. I don't think they'd do this, but let's say Correa, just because the new general manager – of the Giants came over from the Astros. I'm going to assume for a second he has a relationship with Correa. Let's just say it's Correa, Judge, and Rizzo. That's a ton of money. Correa's probably at 25 million. Rizzo's is at 18 million, and Judge is at 40. So you're looking at roughly 85 million dollars there between those three guys. Can you still get a pitcher on top of those guys? I don't know, but you have to because you're short one. Now that's maybe where a trade comes in. Can you trade for somebody who's reasonable? You don't have to just sign a bunch of free agents. If you sign all those guys, that's a lot of money. And Correo, Rizzo, and Judge, all of a sudden your lineup looks great. Your defense is better because Judge is an above-average defender. Not sure where you're going to put Correa, but Anthony Rizzo is going to dig a lot of stuff out that after Brandon Belt went down, you just didn't have a chance to do. So anyway, you should. I, I'm, I'm giving you some of the, uh, the insights into it. And the other things are that we didn't know about when it came to Aaron Judge was, well, does he want to leave New York? Because some guys don't, some guys do. It sounds like because of the booing, because the Yankees made his contract or his contract offer public, he wasn't really happy about that, uh, thought he was worth more. So, that, you know, because sometimes you go to yourself, well, God, would he really leave the Yankees? Some people love that stage. 
He's not in love. I mean, he'd like to stay, but it's not like he's completely in love with being a Yankee. Uh, Randy Miller also pointed out the fact that after the Yankees made that public, he stopped saying that he wanted to be a Yankee for life. There's a lot of subtle hints in there. said he's very close with his family. We all know the Linden story. So if you add all this up, it sounds like Aaron Judge is the Giants to lose. Now, could they lose him? Sure. Could they alienate him with a low ball offer or something? Absolutely. They could. It's not like, hey, here, like Andre Dawson years ago with the Cubs, if you remember this, I think it was in 87, said, "Here's I, I just want to play for you. It, fill out the check. And I think they, the, the Cubs filled out like $500,000. Even in 1987, that was a joke. But Andre Dawson played for that amount of money because he wanted to get off the hard turf in his knees in Montreal and decided – Wrigley Field, soft grass was the place he wanted to play. Ended up winning an MVP on a last-place team. Aaron Judge is not going to do that. He's, he, he didn't play, and he didn't have this year, and he didn't hit 62 home runs and bet on himself and turn down a seven-year, $213.5 million contract with the Yankees so that he could sign for something comparable just so he could come home to the Giants. So it's got to be a more-than-competitive offer. He's not giving them a hometown discount. So, yeah, they could screw this thing up. But if they do what Randy Miller said right there and say, okay, we're going to give you the money that you want. Let's say it's eight or nine years at $35, $40 million. We're going to sign Anthony Rizzo, your best friend on the Yankees. We're going to sign Carlos Correa because we've got a connection to him through our general manager now. And we'll get a couple of pitchers, and we'll fill out our, our staff. We'll be good enough. And you know what? If we need to go get a starter at the deadline, we'll do that. Is that good enough for you? And I would imagine it would be. Now, if they lowball him and they don't bring anybody else and he thinks he's going to be Mike Trout, then he's going to go somewhere else. But based on what Randy Miller said there, and I've explained who Randy Miller is to you, and I think he's credible. I don't know if I'm credible to you to say that he's credible. Does that make sense? <laughs> that I think Aaron Judge could be, could be, and maybe even should be a giant. And that's your leadoff spot. Next. This team is older, Ernie. That's what's really happening to them. They're older. That's why I said, if you go back, go back and look at the finals, who was the, suit, the guys who helped them win? It was Wiggins and Poole. Those guys are here now. They are, but I'm saying, that's why I said it's going to be up to those young guys, Kaminga, Moody, Poole, uh, and uh, Wiseman, because I think as much as I love Clay, he's slipping. Uh, same thing with Draymond. They're not the same. In the finals, you could see they're not the same guys they was two or three years ago. So when I watch the Warriors play, I says, oh, man, Father Time is knocking on the door on a couple of those guys. They, they, these guys have won four championships. That's like playing two or three extra seasons. They, and they're past 30. You factor in Clay, who's had two major, major surgeries. I think you saw tonight, he's like, this young boy is kicking my ass. Ain't nothing I can do about it. There was a time when Clay Thompson was the best two-way guard in the NBA. And he's not the same guy. And that's because of injuries. Now, can, is he done? No, I don't think he's done. I think he's slowing down and is catching up. with. That's why he's frustrated. I think the same thing with Draymond. I think he's slowing down. You saw in the finals, like, because his game is really dictated on energy. And once you get past 30, you start losing, especially if you're playing deep in the playoffs every year. That's why I said Steph got a lot more work to do now. Them young guys going to really have to step up. Or this team is not going to win the championship if those young guys don't start carrying the team. That is Charles Barkley. And let I remind you that he is often wrong. 
about the Warriors. Not He started it off with a jump back in 2014 or 15 or whenever it was. Uh, the Warriors never won a championship. They're a jump-shooting pretty boy team, even though they were playing great defense and they weren't really a jump-shooting team. But okay, Charles, and I love Charles Barkley, but he is not often accurate. Now, he is accurate in that Father Time is undefeated, and Clay Thompson isn't the same player, and nobody thought he was going to be the same player after he had those two major injuries, and it's early in the season, and everybody has to have something to talk about, so we're four games in, so Clay Thompson will never go back to the way that he was. Now, I'm not willing to say that. Uh, he is older. He is coming off two major injuries, and I don't know if Clay Thompson's ever going to be the defender that he was. I don't even know that Clay Thompson would be the defender that he was even without those injuries because, as Charles said, guys get older. But what he's not taking into account is he didn't say anything new there. We know it. The Warriors know it. And that's why they wouldn't trade any of these young guys to go out and get Kevin Durant for a, maybe for the short term, a better, not even maybe, for a, yes, absolutely short term for a better shot at a championship. But this team likes Wiseman and likes Kaminga and obviously likes Poole and Wiggins because they signed him to uh, extensions. Where he's missing it is the Warriors are doing this all by design. Once they get their rotations down, the younger players are going to carry them to an extent in the regular season. They are going to give rest to Draymond Green and to Klay Thompson and to Steph Curry. They did it last year. Steph Curry played less minutes, was ready for the playoffs, and then turned in an MVP performance down the stretch and into the playoffs. And that's exactly what they expect these older guys to do. I said this at the beginning of, really, I mean, it's the beginning of the season now. We're only four games into this thing, and tonight the Warriors take on the Heat for game number five. We've got a long way to go, and I said this last night on the podcast. It's why 82 games in the NBA and only 82 games is a championship season, not the Lakers' bubble. It's why 162 games in Major League Baseball and not a shortened season 60 games for the Dodgers is a World Series. And it's nothing against those teams, and it isn't because it's L.A. It just happens those teams won those. It's a long season, and a lot of things happen. And the Warriors know how over a long period of time how to be at the finish line at the right time, how to have guys rested and ready for the, for the sprint that's 16 wins, the first to 16 wins is a championship, and they know they don't have to overextend guys during the season. And really, the only time that they do is because the NBA mandates on the games that are nationally telecast games that they want you to make sure that those guys are playing and a fair amount of minutes at that. But they're going to. They have those meters on these guys, and they know more than anything else. And I know it frustrates fans, and fans scream and yell that Steph Curry is not playing in Denver tonight or whatever it is, and back-to-backs and four and six nights and – five and seven, and they're just not going to play those guys. So you've got to earn minutes on this Warriors roster, uh, this Warriors team. There's no question about it. But, but the only guy right now over 30 minutes per game is Steph Curry. So Wiggins is going to play a ton of minutes, and he looks as confident as he's been. James Wiseman, I advocated it already in last night's, in yesterday's podcast. He's only playing about 18 a night. He should be, I think, anywhere from 22 to 25 I know what Kevon Looney is. I don't need him to be an Iron Man and play in every game like last year. I want to see more James Wiseman, especially in the Suns game against DeAndre Ayton, in which Ayton played 25. I wanted Wiseman on the floor for all of those 25 minutes. I've seen Looney against him. I want to see what Wiseman can do against a guy that should be, a, right now, a contemporary, a sim- very similar player. Not like Jokic. Not every center is the same. 
I think he should have been on there for every minute Aiton was. But just back to what Barkley said. Look, Father Time is undefeated. Nobody's saying that Clay isn't a bit of a lesser player or that Draymond Green, due to the way that he plays, and it's through, through uh, energy and all those different kind of things, but they're smarts. It's not as much about athleticism and all those things. He'll pick and choose his spots. The Warriors are smart. By the time the playoffs roll around, Clay will be fresh. Draymond will be fresh. It's no longer about how many all-star games that you make and how many minutes you need to play and are you all NBA. Here's what it comes down to for this Warriors team. How many rings you got? Steph wants another ring. He wants number five. Clay does. Dre does. I don't care, and I don't think they do at this point. It could get flared up, but who's got a contract and who doesn't? I believe that Clay Thompson is going to play two more years with the Warriors, 40 plus million dollars uh, per year on each of those contracts, and he's going to end up in L.A. with his dad, Michael, being a three-point shooter, playing about 25 minutes for the Lakers. I know that's blasphemy to say, and I love Clay. I love Captain Clay. I love Clay on the boat. I love Clay and Rocco. Uh, I've interacted with him at, at events on numerous occasions. Uh, he's one of the chillest and cool guys, despite the fact that he went off on Devin Booker the other night, you're ever going to meet. I'd love him to retire as, as a warrior. I just don't think he will. Same with Draymond Green. I think after the season, Draymond Green's going to go to his hometown Pistons, who have a very young team and could use what Draymond Green brings to the table. Draymond moves on, Clay moves on, and at that point, you hope the younger warriors, along with Clay Thompson and Wiggins and Poole, can usher them into a new era. Again, back to Charles Barkley, saying that these guys are older. The Warriors know. The fans know. The media knows. We all here know. You're stating the obvious. Aren't you seeing on the floor that there is a transition happening? They want to win the championship this year. They want to win the championship next year. And when Clay's a Laker and Draymond's a Piston and Curry is still around and they just re-signed Wiggins and Poole and they're hoping that Wiseman comes around and I'm not sure on Kaminga yet, but then also that they can add more players because this team over the last number of years uh, since 2015 and winning the championships and now it's the Chase Center and the way that they treat players, they hope that they can attract more players and they just keep this train of moving. But Charles, they know who's old. They know how to transition. They know how to win championships. They know when it's nut cutting time and they know when it's time to make the 16-game sprint and they are well aware of what's going on with Father Time next. We'll be open to Christian since he's here the whole week. Like, yes. Yeah. And how is there a challenge still in converting what, you know, the language from Carolina to what your game plan lines out for him this week? Oh, uh, yeah, it's a real challenge if, for anybody. Um, but you got to work at it. And he did that a lot in the 48 hours he was here to be a part of it last week. And I'm not worried about him doing it this week, too. That was Kyle Shanahan on Thursday, and he's talking about uh, the injury list. And that one was a question. That isn't the injury list. That was a question from our good friend Matt Mayoko from NBC Sports Bay Area on if Christian McCaffrey is going to be a member full-time as far as the uh, playbook is concerned. And Kyle said, absolutely. And that's it, that just blows my mind because this is a complicated offense. Uh, Christian McCaffrey didn't even practice with the 49ers uh, last week was only around for about 48 hours and participated in about 20 plays. But he does expect Christian McCaffrey to uh, be a full participant in every part of the offense, which includes red zone and third down, something he wasn't uh, a member of last week in the loss against the Chiefs. Now, that's the good news. The bad news, uh, Debo Samuel missed practice again today with a hamstring. 
Uh, we'll see the rest of the week how that goes. But if you add Christian McCaffrey and you minus Debo Samuel, I think that's a net negative because Debo has been so good against the Rams lately. And uh, the whole point is to have Debo and Christian McCaffrey and Juszczyk, who's out, and, and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk having all these weapons on the field at the same time. So the defense goes, what the, what the, what? Uh, other guys that are injury, injured, uh, Dre Greenlaw's got a calf. Samson Ebukam with Achilles tendonitis. Juwan Jennings with a hamstring. Eric Armstead foot ankle. Jason Verrett was activated today, but he was limited with the knee, and I'm not so sure that he's going to play anytime soon. So that's what the injury list says. Now, to me, the three most important guys to get back so that the 49ers are the 49ers is first and foremost Eric Armstead. The irony here is that for years and years and years, we looked at Eric Armstead and we said, he's not very good. He's a bust. Uh, what are they thinking? Well, that was the Eric Armstead that was playing defensive end, and we thought that Armstead was going to get 10 or 12 sacks from, from that spot every single year, like he was going to be an edge guy. And they moved him inside a couple of years ago out of necessity, and then the Super Bowl year with DeForest Buckner, we all went, oh, that's why he's so good. And he still didn't get really enough credit because a lot of the credit went to DeForest Buckner, and it should have went to DeForest Buckner. And then they had a decision to make, and Eric Armstead signed a contract that was less than what uh, Buckner wanted, and then Buckner got traded to the Colts, and we all know what happened. And then uh, Javon Kinlaw was drafted, and he hasn't worked out injuries, whatever the case may be. He just hasn't worked out, and I, know if he, I don't know if he's ever going to work out. The point is, is that we now know that Eric Armstead is vastly important. They have a depth problem inside, but more so they have a skills problem inside. Kinlaw is not a major loss. Kevin Givens, although Givens has not been great, but I think it's because he's had to play too many snaps. And the 49ers, when they're great, they've got not only good defensive linemen, but really deep defensive linemen. And I got into this conversation a couple of days ago on the podcast. The reason why teams are doing so many things to Nick Bosa and giving so much attention is obviously he's good, but they don't have to worry so much about the interior, the defensive line now. They don't have to worry about the uh, op the rusher opposite. Nick Bosa, Ebacom is not nearly as consistent. Remember in 19 when they had D Ford opposite Bosa with Armstead and Buckner inside? I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, now they have Kevin Givens inside along with Hassan Ridgeway, and they have Samson Ebacom, and that's just not going to get it done. So they need Armstead back first and foremost. Uh, Jason Vred, as I told you, was activated today by Kyle Shanahan. And I think Kyle was just kind of you know, saying this through the media so that, you know, no one would know. I don't know when he's going to come back. Jason Verrett, the Jason Verrett before his latest injury, and he's had a ton. We all know that. But the one that took him out in game one of the 2021 season against the Detroit Lions, that guy who got that contract coming into that season, if that guy comes back at some point, they're going to be fine. They'll more than make up for the loss of Emmanuel Mosley. But from what I'm hearing is Jason Verrett's not that close. And even when Jason Verrett comes back, because he hasn't played in that long of a period of time, think about the way Jimmy Ward played last week. And Jimmy Ward had played one game all season long but participated in training camp. Jason Verrett hasn't participated in anything, and they need him badly because you have two second-year corners in Diaminor, Lenore, and Ambry Thomas and then you have a rookie in Samuel Womack who was good in the preseason, but we've seen good in the preseason a ton of times, and it doesn't mean it's going to translate to the regular season. And I don't trust any of those guys opposite Shavarius Ward. So all of a sudden now you've got a weak spot on the corner, 
and you're praying that Jason Verrett can be a guy that can fill that hole. I don't know how realistic that is. And then the last one is old Fred Warner. And what I mean is the Fred Warner who doesn't overthink things. People scratch their head on Fred Warner, who's a hell of a guy and a great player. The one thing is Fred Warner can almost be overprepared and too smart. And a lot of people, you know, the the amateur Twitter scouts who send out the All-22 and say this and that and this and that, and they're all getting all over Fred uh, Warner. And one of the things I hear about Fred Warner when you're down at the facility is Fred's awesome. Fred's everything. But sometimes Fred can be overprepared and he gets paralysis by analysis. In other words, he overprepares and is thinking about too many things. And when Fred Warner is just out there reacting and playing and finding that kind of middle ground in terms of being prepared but not overprepared and not overthinking, Fred Warner is great. He'll bounce back from that. I think Fred Warner is going to be fine. But defensively, those are your three guys. Getting Armstead back, getting Verrett to be a version of Verrett that's pretty close to the one we've seen at some point this year, and then getting the old Fred Warner back, the guy that's just reacting and not thinking. And then the one last thing I'll say about the uh, 49ers uh, in this episode of the uh, podcast is Debo is beat up. And we said this at the beginning of the season when Elijah Mitchell got hurt. You don't want to overuse Debo Samuel. And they're trying not to. And now with Christian McCaffrey, they don't have to. But maybe it's just a little too late. As he reported that hamstring injury on Monday, he's banged up. They don't want to push it. So they may not have Debo, who's been so great against the Rams over the last uh, number of, especially the last couple, but the last number of games against the Rams. He's been absolutely great. And the whole point is, is to have Christian McCaffrey and Debo on the field at the same time so that people don't know what's going on. But it looks like Debo is going to have to wait another week. But we shall see. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's what it sounds like. So there you go. There's your latest update on the 49ers. Finally, let's get to it. Russell Westbrook. I've always made fun of him. I'm not a big fan, but this is taking it too far. It's time for one for the road. Lakers and Russ into the front court. Russell pull up. No, Russ, no. He missed it. (laughs) No, Russ, no. The reason why I bring up Russell Westbrook today, and I know a lot of people like to talk about Russell Westbrook, is he just bought a house apparently across the street from LeBron James in a ritzy Brentwood neighborhood for over, did I say $37 million? For over $37 million. Now, this is the last year of Russell Westbrook's contract with the Lakers. Uh, He's owed $43 million this year. It's part of a deal he signed while he was in Oklahoma City. Five years, $206 million. And with an AAV, average annual value, of $41.35 million. And since he signed that contract, he's been with Oklahoma City, of course, Houston, Washington, and now the Lakers. Westbrook was a member of the 75th anniversary team of the NBA. He's a nine-time All-Star. He's been an MVP as recently as 2016 and 17. Uh, He led the league in scoring in 14-15 and 16-17. He won back-to-back NBA All-Star MVP award trophies in 2015 and 16. And now he's a meme. His face is on Bob the Builder. He's Westbrook. Look, it's not even fun anymore. Come on, Russ, get up off the mat. We used to make fun of Russ. I just feel bad for him. He's shooting 28% from the field this year. He's shooting 8%, 8, 8% from three. 
Uh, people cringe when he takes shots. The crowd, uh, especially at home games, oohs and ahs. Oh, he's taking a shot. I, I, I've seen guys fall from grace fast, but it's usually because of legalities. You know, Mike Tyson, Michael Vick, things like that, where a guy does something off the field, off the court, off the ice, where you go, ooh, that was fast. But in terms of what I just mentioned of how good of a player this guy once was, the accolades, the triple-doubles, the amazement of the triple-doubles, Oscar Robertson, I mean, he, he's been mentioned with some of the best. And look, I don't know. Maybe some guys just can't shoot. You know, it doesn't seem like it's work ethic with Russell Westbrook. He plays hard. He looks like he works hard. Uh, he looks like he's in good shape. He's 33 years old, which, you know, we're, we're talking, we talked earlier on the podcast about Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, and they're around that same age. Steph Curry, by the way, is in his age 35 season, and I know how hard Steph Curry works. Uh, I don't know if Russell Westbrook is a partier or is doing all these different things. I, I don't think so. I know I think he's a family man. He's mentioned his family a lot and catching a bunch of grief. I just don't know if there's a more maligned player right now in all of sports. I'm not going to go so far as to say maligned in history, but in terms of a guy who was once on a pedestal during the 16-17 season because of all the triple-doubles and the fascination of the triple-double and getting the MVP because of that, and then to come back, what, five, six years later, and to basically be a pariah on the Lakers for teams potentially trading for him and saying, well, what are you going to give us? <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll take Westbrook, but what are you going to give us? You're going to give us five first-round picks? I mean, a guy falling from grace so fast, and you may not be a Westbrook fan, and I'm not a Westbrook fan. And I saw through all the, oh, the triple-double stuff and the, you know, he's getting extra rebounds for this, that, and the other. I was never overly impressed. But even after this year, when his contract runs out at $40 million, is there going to be a team that says to Russell Westbrook, hey, you can come off our bench and sign for the mid-level. I mean, you would think off the top of your head that part of the problem is he makes $40 million, demands to start, and thinks he's still a superstar. Now, next year, let's just say for, for the sake of conversation, the Warriors. Hey, Russ, will you take the mid-level and you come off the bench? I, I don't even know if I would do that. I mean, that's how far this guy has fallen, Russell Westbrook. It's not even fun to make fun of, of him anymore. In fact, it's one of those situations where in sports, you know how we like to build up, break down, and build up again? Kind of like Tiger Woods. He was at the top. He was kind of arrogant. Then the whole Thanksgiving thing happens and the golf club and the ex-wife and all those kind of things. And, and it was like, oh, kind of, you know, we, you went from, geez, I don't like Tiger, to, oh, geez, he's this sympathetic figure. And then you build up Tiger again, and now he's – of legendary status. He's older and he's of legendary status again now, but it kind of in a different way because you relate to him because we all have a, a lot of imperfections. In my case, a lot, a lot, a lot of imperfections. But you look at Westbrook now and he's become this sympathetic figure, at least for me. And so he was up high, he's down low, and Russell Westbrook to me has become kind of a sympathetic figure. Now, I'm not going to root for him when he's on the Lakers because I'm not a Lakers guy. I'm not a LeBron guy. I respect LeBron, but I'd be okay if he didn't win any other championships. So I'm not rooting for Westbrook necessarily as a Laker, but I would like Russell Westbrook at some point to redeem himself. I feel bad for the guy. Am I wrong? At John Lund Radio, Russell Westbrook, and that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed Various Sports Talk with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco. 
Episode 32 for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. Thanks for making Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk your first stop for Bay Area sports each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast where you find your favorite podcast. Listen to me on my day job, KMBR Radio in San Francisco, KMBR 680 and KMBR.com. Interact anytime you want at John Lund Radio, whether you love it, whether you hate it. Let me know what you're thinking. It is Unleashed, various Sports Talk with me, John Lund, episode 32 on the Locked On Podcast Network.